parts of the world are opening up again post-COVID. One of these is the UK, where 60% of the population have received two doses of a vaccination and 70% have now received at least one. So what does this all mean for wool? Well, in this episode, we find out. Welcome to The Yarn, the number one wool industry podcast. I'm Marius Cumming. So Peter Ackroyd is a consultant to Australian Wool Innovation and is a well-known wool industry advocate who is instrumental in creating and running the Campaign for Wool. And four generations of his family have worked with Australian Merino in the UK. It was wonderful to catch up and hear from him again. Great to join you uh, across the waters. Uh, things are not too bad in the United Kingdom at the moment. We've just gone into August, which is the height of our summer. The weather seems to be improving. The cricket's at Lords this weekend. So no, I think uh, things are looking relatively better. The country's more or less opened up with the usual precautions. So um, there's a, there is a, an air of optimism here as well. Well, that is wonderful to hear. Um, so Boris sort of opened the floodgates and we're watching um, eagerly with how that works out. How has it worked out? I think it's worked out relatively well. It was controversial because they did really um, uh, give the green light in July uh, to do almost anything. And uh, I remember the night that the the nightclubs opened. I wasn't there, of course, but uh, at one minute past midnight, people were dancing around. And one wonders, really, is that the right thing to do? Um, Let's the, the situation is still for Australians quite alarming. We had 25,000 cases of COVID recorded yesterday. Um, we have what 27 had 27 deaths yesterday, and uh, but the good news is we have 74% of the population fully vaccinated. And I think there's a correlation between those who are getting the uh, disease and those who have been vaccinated. And those who have been vaccinated certainly aren't getting the disease as badly as they would have done. Uh, so there's uh, there has been some movement. But it's still it's still pretty critical, in, in, and in and in Australian terms, well, um, you you'd be closing the whole country down for the for the rest of the century, I would imagine. Yes, well, it, it it does seem to be a case of vaccination now, particularly in Sydney. But you're a deep thinking man. Uh, how has this changed the world, and how's it changed for you? I think it's made people think a lot about what they do and how they do it. Uh, and I think the whole concept of not going to the office has been quite uh, extraordinary. And I would hasten, I would guess a lot of people quite enjoyed it, not going to the office, but I think they got now a bit sick of it. And a lot of people want to get back into an office environment, have human contact, meet people, talk to people, go out with people, rather than sitting at home uh, in sweatpants on the floor, watching Netflix and occasionally calling the office. You know, I mean, it's a, there's a mood change. But in terms of how we approach wool and how we approach fashion, it's been quite interesting because we've really had a very, very sharp decline in what one called a formal suit. Um, don't want to alarm people, but if you quote some of the worsted weavers in this part of the world and in Turkey and in Italy, some of their business has been down between 50 and 70 percent. Now, it, one wonders how long that is sustainable. Uh, it's a very difficult equation to, uh, to, uh, to grapple with. And there's no real view that the mass suit market will come back online in the very near future, in the sort of medium future. Yes, it will. It has to do. And things do change quite radically. So let's hope, let's hope that um, 
the staple suit will come back. I don't worry, Marius, for the super fine growers particularly. I, I can see that reflected in their price as well. Um, if I dare say, posh people will always buy suits for weddings and for, uh, you know, for the Melbourne Cup and for um, it, and for events. What worries me is the middle market. And the middle market is the staple of the 19, 20, 21 micron uh, producers. And that's taken a massive hit with companies uh, that we all know well. Marks and Spencers, Next, Peck and Kloppenberg in Germany, Hugo Boss in Germany, uh, the big operators in the United States, Macy's, Bloomingdale's, uh, big people, J. Crew, for example, not making suits anymore, or very few suits, and that's that. That, that is that, that that is worrying. I estimate it was was it about thirty percent, thirty five percent of our business would have been in the tailored clothing, worsted suiting business, be it in jackets, trousers, or suits. Uh, to lose that overnight in such proportions is quite is quite concerning. On the flip side to that, knitwear has been a real winner through COVID, and as part of that, I mean, we've heard that post in a post-COVID world, people are meeting together and buying suits. So we've we've seen that V-shaped recovery in the wool market. Yeah. Do you put that down most to knitwear, or are people? starting to to come back to that tailored suiting or do you, do you do you feel as though it's gone i think there is a bit of a rebound uh in the uk and in italy and germany where people are buying tailored clothing for special events that have been postponed for 18 months that's quite definitely the case but the problem there maris is that a lot of that is is is, 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 is from mothball stock uh the anecdote which is absolutely true that marks and spencers put all their suits into containers and stored them in football grounds that weren't being used. Now, they are coming out of containers now, and they are being put back on the racks. So we won't see the, we won't be able to measure the revival of the soup market or the, the beginning of the revival of the soup market until probably September of this year, when in the Northern Hemisphere, weavers of worsted fabric or our, of, of, of our merino start to show their samples about now to the trade it used to be at trade fairs, but they aren't happening at, at the moment. So it's all being done virtually or by or, or by telephone. Uh, we will see the results of those sample orders coming in around September, and then the real results we will see in February 2022. Now, I'm predicting that there could be a significant rebound of the supermarket for autumn, winter, northern hemisphere 22-23. Let's see. Um, there are, a lot of the pundits are hopeful. But going back to knitwear, if I said that a worsted weaver in UK, Italy, Turkey, um, and even China had lost 50 to 70 percent of their business because of the demise of the suit and formal wear, the knitwear people are pretty happy. Now, I probably shouldn't mention names of mills, but there's a big Chinese uh, spinning company that used to do 600 tons in the UK for the knitwear business with all the big high street brands. They're only down 15 percent and they're clawing that 15 percent back. So that is good news, um, but it's not going to compensate for the lack of the formal market or the demise of, of, of the formal market. It will in some ways sort of sugar the pill, uh, but not quite. It's not, it's not quite the panacea that we'd hoped for. Right. So we really have an interesting couple of months ahead as the new reality starts to bite and new orders start coming in, as opposed to what may have been a bit of a false dawn, perhaps. <clears throat> a false dawn. To a certain extent, yeah, only in so much that it's the movement of stock and inventory. 
I remember <clears throat> when we closed down for the well, some of the retail stores have been closed for eight months. Can you imagine in the in the, in the last uh, fourteen months? So that's massive. But the, one interesting thing is, and I, I will drop a name now. Next, which is a great company in the UK. Next, when I was much younger, he used to have a catalogue which would thump on the doorstep every every six months, and they were masters of what one called mail order. So that allowed them to morph beautifully into online selling. And Next have done particularly well over the last 18 months, and they're doing pretty well now because they've mastered the art of online. It causes massive problems. There's a, there's a warehouse not terribly far away from me that employs, I think, about 4,000 people that are, that are dealing, with, uh, dealing with the returns, which are an, an, an inevitable consequence uh, of mail order and, and, and online order. But uh, they've, 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 they've done rather well, but mainly in knitwear. We've had some good movement in Next of Skin. T-shirts, sportswear, athleisure. My slight worry about that is that when you buy a Merino T-shirt, uh, let's say a company called Intimissimi, which is one of the market leaders, you're paying in euros, 59 euros for a T-shirt in our Merino. You pay 19 in sort of some sort of cheap cotton and 29 in, in uh, Suprema cotton. So there, there, there's a big price differential. The message we have to get over is that Wool like that, wool has a very good return on capital invested. It will last much longer. It needs less care. And if we can get the message of that it is a massive contribution to, to, to the environment, it's not going to rot in landfill, then I think you know, that's part of the message. And it's part of Prince Charles's message, part of the campaign for wool message, is you know, buy well, buy less, buy wool. And you've led us beautifully into what is a, a big fight for wool, which is this new European labelling? Product environmental footprint is something of a scourge in many ways, but I think that the IWTO, together with Walmart's massive assistance, is getting uh, has taken the measure of the problem, uh, which I think is uh, it, it, it is a huge problem in so much as the, the chair of the group that looks after this organization, uh, PEF, or the, the whole process there, is from the fast fashion industry. Uh, it, it is really, I think, the fox in charge of the hen house, which is one of the things we had to address. Um, it's, it's a massive problem. The Sustainable Apparel Coalition is a group of companies which you would not associate with the word sustainable at all. Uh, they are fast fashion. They are companies like Walmart and H&M. Uh, companies who, if you read the sort of uh, ecological press, all their great claims for environmental excellence have been dissed and trashed by the, by 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 all by all you know nearly all the experts. Uh, so we have an, an uphill battle, but uh, we are on the case, very much on the case. Through the campaign for wool, though, Peter, we have been pushing this message for over ten years. So has it has it not got through, or is it is it politics as opposed to facts that are in charge here? There's a lot of politics involved, but I think in terms of facts, I think for certain consumers, the message has got through superbly. The Prince Charles's message of natural, environmental, sustainable, renewable, biodegradable, flame retardant has got through well. What it hasn't got through, where, where it hasn't got through, is to the mass market. And how do you articulate that to the mass market whose budgets are limited, whose knowledge is limited? And it's the mass market people I was talking about before. The ones that don't buy suits to go to posh events, that buy suits for a formal occasion, buy suits once in a while. 
how to convince them to make an ecological choice is not easy. It's an uphill struggle. But I, I think I think if we, I mean, the, the Prince of the, the Prince of Wales's message is brilliant. Uh, it's articulated by a grey-haired gentleman. Um, we need to get younger people into the Prince's campaign, and the Prince was, was, was the, the Prince's charities are a massive organisation that that involved with young people. If we can get younger people to articulate his views on environmentalism, let's remember Prince Charles is one of the great treasures because he's a non, he's not a vegan, he's, he's not a vegetarian, but he's he's an environmentalist. So his agenda, I think, suits us perfectly well. But does it suit the European Union, uh, particularly given you're not part of the European Union anymore? I think uh, that's probably a bit of a red herring, Marius, because it's the, uh, the, the, the message is not just from Prince Charles, the, uh, 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 the message is through uh, environmental people who think environmentally across the European Union. Yes, yet we're not part of the European Union, so we, we don't have that voice, that the strength that Next and Marks and Spencers and John Lewis could give. Uh, but let's not forget that Next, Marks and Spencers and John Lewis are big customers of the European Union. And if, the, and if Brussels has to listen to what its customers say, so... I think every voice is worth it. Um, every voice can be heard. The other problem, which is quite of course, of course, a lot of the fast fashion retailers are European based and they employ a lot of people. Zara, for example, in Spain, H&M in Stockholm, uh, in, in Sweden, they're mass employers. And uh, you know they also have a voice because they keep people in jobs. And politicians listen to people that keep people in jobs. So again, an, an uphill yeah. struggle. Now, you didn't want to scare wool growers, but you did want to talk about polyester. Yes, it's the patron saint of American fashion, Polly and Esther, the two, the, the two people who have really uh, wrecked the global economy. It was DuPont, I think, DuPont in 1936 that invented nylon. Uh, polyester came along later. All petrochemical fibres, all much cheaper. Um, if I give you a price of a worsted suiting made from some of our, our growers' wool, it's going to be around 18 euros a metre. If you get a polyester version of that, a knockoff made in China, uh, they'll be flogging that at $2 US 30. So really, probably 10% of the price of what is in our merino. Now, what worries me is that the ecological movement have adopted polyester in its recycled form. It's a very neat way of saying that rubbish has been reused. Um, but the message is that rubbish continues to be rubbish and needs to be reused again and again and again. And, that, and that's not infinite. But there is a challenge there because it is a cheaper option uh, to, as I say, watering the gin, i.e. putting polyester into our worsted, worsted uh, marina, is for some an option to bring down the price of a suit to make it cheaper in the hope that that will stimulate demand. Now, what we're going to have to say and what, and what we are saying is that the choice should be pure new wool, um, pure new marina, and that that is the ecological choice. And it's not going to be massively more expensive than than the polyester blend. But beware of people pushing polyester as an ecological alternative to wool. It, it is not. But with the right spin, it can be dressed up to be so. 
It is frustrating from a wool growers' point of view that we have so much on our side in this ecological and, and sustainable sustainability debate, which is now front of mind for so many people, and uh, we uh, appear to be greenwashed by uh, the petrochemicals. So uh, something else that you've done recently and we uh, should refer to is uh, a video that you've done for British Wool, which has some wonderful uh, messaging in there for non-merino producers in Australia. Yes, well, I was talking about really a hopeful revival in what I call, well, what is called the contract sector. Uh, it's quite obvious that over the last 18 months, things have not been happening. There have been no uh, casinos have been closed, hotels have been closed, airlines haven't been flying, trains really haven't been moving, um, trade fairs haven't been happening. So in interior textile on the contract side is not doing well at all. Conversely, on the uh, domestic side, uh, I don't know whether it's the same in Australia, but uh, throughout the UK and perhaps North, North America, people have been people have been been renewing carpets. I suppose they've been sitting on them for the last eighteen months. They probably want to renew them, um, and this has been happening. So the domestic side is good, and the price of crossbred wools in the UK are doing much better. They will make your or arm our merino growers cringe if I tell them the price was about two Australian dollars a kilo. Um, but what I think is going to happen is that the price will firm once the contract market reopens, once people start traveling, flying, going to hotels, going to conventions, going to trade fairs, going to casinos, uh, things will improve. And uh, it's been 18 months that things haven't been moving. So let's see. Well, we look forward to that um, because, yes, they have been down for a while. But Sounds like you are cautiously optimistic, Peter. The, the wheels are turning again post-COVID, but how fast they are turning and for how long, um, we, we might get a, a better look at that in the next month or two. Yes, I think it's pretty critical. Um, I was rather disappointed that the intertextile trade fair in Shanghai had been postponed because of a recent outbreak of COVID in that area. It should have been happening in a few days' time. It's now not happening until probably October, November. So that was the first trade fair off the block that's not happening. Uh, what's quite obvious in our wool business, because we're talking about quality, we're talking about touch, handle, uh, fineness and sheen. Um, buyers need to rehandle fabrics again. They need to test them, they need to try them, they need to hold them. Buying um, a worsted merino in fine Australian merino online and on the screen is not the same, just not the same. Try buying a, a length of cloth from one of the websites of the, uh, of the textile merchants. What you get is not what you ordered. Uh, it just doesn't work. So I'm hoping that with the reduction of restrictions and travel being more easy, there will probably be an addition of Premier Vision in September in Paris, where all the main weavers used to go. There was an addition of Milano Unica last month in Milan, where a lot of the Italian weavers were. And there was some optimistic signs coming out of that. Let's see. Uh, this selling season for fabric is critical. I, I did predict the, last year that it would be 2022-2023 Northern Hemisphere retail winter where we would begin to see signs of some sort of recovery. Let's hope. Well, we do. And the look, the Eastern Market Indicator at around $14, $15 seems to be a, a very good place for a lot of Australian wool growers. And it appears to be a price that works for further down the chain as well. Absolutely. No, it is it, it is good. I, I, I was slightly worried when it went up to $20. Uh, there were complaints coming from the market saying that this is too high. 
but I think uh, 15 is a an optimum number uh, for both the grower and the trade, then I think we're in a very good place. Peter Ackroyd, it's just wonderful um, not only seeing you, but hearing you as, as always and the passion that comes through. Thank you very much for your time and we just can't wait to see you in Australia again. It's been a pleasure and I, and I, and I just can't wait to get back. As soon as Qantas is open, I should be there. Thank you, Marius. Peter Ackroyd, MBE. So, as usual, thank you for your company on The Yarn. A deep dive into the European market in this episode and we have a very important few months ahead for our fibre. For more information, follow Australian Wool Innovation on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. But from me, Mari is coming. Thanks for having a yarn. <laughs>